Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. So we'll start by just jumping right into John 15. And here we have Jesus. Actually, this is a long conversation, really, if you started in 14 and maybe even a little bit before that. We have a long conversation of Jesus preparing his disciples for a great many things and giving them a great many promises. But we're going to jump into the middle here, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You can already see his desire here. He's desiring us to abide in him. He's desiring to bear fruit in our lives. That's incredible. Now, he's not just talking about eternal salvation because then he goes on to say, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So it's more than that. It's more than just eternal fruit as in eternal salvation. It's eternal reward. It's fruit here on this earth that he's getting at. And then he goes on and says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever it is that abides in me and I in him, he that is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now I'm going to stop there. I, have a, I wanted to go through the, right to verse 17, but for sake of time, I ran out of time last time, so I'm going to just skip forward and you'll have to forgive me. But you know what? Go and read John 14, 15, and 16. And read it as one big story. I challenge you to do that. You will enjoy it, I think. I know you will. It's the best gospel out there anyways. And I got the mic, so I'm right on that. It is so rich. I, we went through it as a cell, and the, the entire time I kept telling Louise, I need to preach. I just want to preach on John. There's so much gold in here. You could sit in here while Chris could sit in there much longer than me. I was thinking I could sit in here for six weeks, which means he could probably do a year. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot more talent than I do, but that's, that's all good. All right, let's pray, and then let's get into this. Lord, uh, here we see this call, this calling to abide in you. And that apart from you, we can do nothing. We're told that if we do not bear fruit, it continues on that those branches that don't bear fruit are taken away. The branches are gathered. They're thrown away like a branch and wither. The branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and burned. We're also told, Lord, if we abide in you and your words abide in us, that we can ask you whatever we wish and it will be done for us. There is so many promises linked to us abiding in you. So today, Lord, we ask that we wouldn't miss out on any of those promises within Scripture and what your word has to say to us, that we would be impacted to the deepest level so that we can follow you in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so obviously lots of gold we could park on anywhere in there. This morning in my devotions, I was just reading through it again, and I have it actually on a sticky note. I'm not going to share it with you, but I was writing down all of the, the promises and things that he linked to abiding. I'm seriously selling you guys short on the list that I'm going to give you, because we're going to talk about that in a moment. I'm selling you short. It's way better than what I'm going to tell you today. So whatever I'm saying, go into the Word yourself, search it for yourself, and discover it's better. But it's pretty good what I'll share with you too. So let's go back to uh, John 15, 4 to 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever it is that abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what does nothing include? Everything, <laughs> right? You're like, uh, is this a trick question? Does it include nothing? Wait, no, that's not right. <laughs> no, it includes everything. Nothing means nothing. Now, you know what the, the problem with this verse is, and I think the reason why many Christians maybe gloss over it, is because deep inside, even though we would say we agree with the verse, we actually believe we can do lots of things without him. 
So we look at it and we say, yeah, yeah, I totally, amen, I totally believe that. And yet we don't actually surrender every part of our life because there's lots of areas we're strong and we don't actually need Jesus. So what does he mean, apart from me, you can do nothing? He's talking about things that matter for eternity. He's talking about eternal fruit. He's saying, you cannot do anything good for my kingdom on this earth and receive any reward in heaven apart from abiding in me. Because when we stand before him, all of our works are going to be passed through fire. What he's saying is, apart from me, every work you do, even the good things, apart from me, apart from abiding in me, even those good things will be burnt up. They will count for nothing. That's what he's getting at. This should get our attention. This should get our attention. Because not only is this a warning, this is also a call and an invitation to something more. Into something better. A better reality. One where we can bear much fruit. Who doesn't want that? I talk to so many people. All we want is we want purpose and meaning. We want to we make a difference. Well, he's given us the invitation. He's saying, abide in me. You will make a difference. Maybe not in the way you think, but you will make a, a difference that actually matters for something. That's a wonderful promise. So, Jesus desires you to bear this. We'll go to verse 8. I love this. This is actually right after verse 7, which says, Abide me, and my, if my words abide in you. You can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then he goes on to say, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You know what I love about that there? It's not about you. It's not about me. Does he love you? Yes. Will he give you love gifts? Absolutely yes. But it's not just about that. Because if it's just about that, you will always get hung up on, But I don't deserve it but I'm not good enough. Woe is me. And he says, no, 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 please ask me for something, please, so I can give it to you. By this, my father is glorified. It's not just about you. The father needs glory. These guys are right together. I love it. (laughs) You guys are great encouraging me. All right. So this is how it goes. So let's look at what kinds of fruit is Jesus talking about here. So if we're going to bear fruit that lasts for eternity and it's going to benefit us here on this earth, what kind of fruit can we expect from abiding in Christ? Well, the first one is freedom from sin. This freedom from sin is actually a byproduct. It is a fruit of abiding in Christ. Now, like I said before, it is true that we can do some things and and find some measure of freedom here on this earth apart from Christ. Yes, but you will never find the freedom in Christ, the freedom he desires for you, the renewing of your mind in the level in which he wants unless you abide in Christ. It just won't happen. John 8, 31 to 32, look at this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We often use the last verse at the set free. But that first one, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is a person that comes from abiding in Christ. Do you want freedom? You have to meet him. You know, I've talked to so many people over the years, and some of them will probably be in here. I'm sure they will, actually. And they will have heard this from me. Where they've come to me with a problem, whether it be a pornography issue or an alcohol issue, or you just fill in the blank. And I've said, you know, I understand this this is hard. These are hard things to go through. They are. I've been there. I've been there. I've been exactly in your shoes. I know what it's like with a lot of other things, those and many others. I know what it's like, but you've been like this for 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. You've tried everything and nothing has worked. Right. You feel like you've exhausted all your options. So what if, just for a moment in time, if we would agree to take that issue and put it into a box and put it over here? What if we said, we're not going to work on this anymore, we're going to change the focus just for a period of time, 
And we're going to focus in on discovering how much Jesus loves you. On growing a secure foundation with him. And I've had some get frustrated at me. I have. (laughs) I've had others that looked at me with shock. And then I've had others that just bought in and they said, I'm in. They trusted. And you know, I had one gentleman who, who was shocked. He said it was a very shocking thing. I told him, my goal isn't for you to stop drinking alcohol. He was an alcoholic. I said, my goal is for you to learn how much Jesus loves you. I think the stopping alcohol, it's going to be hard work, but it's going to happen as a byproduct of you first learning that. And uh, he had said at the time, he thought maybe I was a little, a little off at my, uh, my mark, but he decided he was going to go through it. He felt, and good on him, right? That's humility and teachability. And uh, that's a good thing, good quality to have. And that probably helped him as he engaged in the exercises. And eventually we addressed the alcohol. It was actually much easier than people would think to break free, even though it was still hard work. It was still hard work. And this is what I want to say to you guys in Path to Freedom. I know there's people that are in the Path to Freedom right now. Uh, The way I'm writing that, the whole first quarter isn't actually dealing just with your, primarily with your problems. It's actually dealing primarily with your foundation. This is exactly what we also do in church renewal mentoring with pastors. We don't start with the issue of give me the set free, and I'm going to get onto that in a moment. We start with their foundation. We always do that. I do the same thing when helping someone find freedom. We start with the foundation. Why build a house on sand? Doesn't make sense. Pure desire groups, same here. You know, I've seen something happen when we go through a process of healing. I've seen some people, because isn't it true you can't add something in without taking something out? The sad part is I've seen too many people add in a process of healing and take out their time with God in the morning. (sighs) Don't do it. It's not worth it. You know, your primary call here wasn't to be free from sin. Did you know that? It was to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The freedom is a byproduct of that. You know, without, without abiding, it's going to be hard work that's impossible. You try to find freedom. Don't make the mistake. Without abiding in Christ, it is hard work that's impossible. With abiding in Christ, it is hard work made possible. Don't forget that. With abiding, it's hard work made possible. Without him, it's hard work that is actually impossible. So that's first one. Fruit of abiding in Christ is freedom from sin. Wonderful, wonderful fruit. But there's more. Christ-like character. Christ-like character. Look at this. 1 John 2, 5 to 6. By the way, I spent hours, literally hours, because I always, when I prepare something like this, I just write it out, and then you try to call it down. I spent hours taking out Scripture. Trying to figure out which ones to keep in and which ones to take out. Because these themes that I'm talking about this morning are clear throughout the entirety of Scripture. I hardly needed notes. Anyways, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. That's abiding. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus said that those who believed in him later on would do the same and greater things than than he was doing because he was going to the Father. Then he talks about passing on the Holy Spirit. That's also in a promise of abiding. If we abide in him, we can do that. Without, we can't. But I'm not getting onto that one here. But uh, Christ-like character. Christ-like character. He wants to actually develop his character in you. Jesus said the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. That's a different kind of life. Another one that's impossible without abiding in Christ, but I'm going to move on for sake of time because I have some more exciting things to get to. Purpose and success in life. How many people want that? 
right? Yeah, got a couple of hands over there. Absolutely, I'd raise my hand to that too. Purpose and success, where do I sign up? That's a promise? All I got to do is what? What do I got to do? I'll sign up for that. So many people, even people that seem successful in, in maybe your eyes, but I've talked to many people that don't feel like they have purpose or haven't found success or meaning in life. Because they're working, they're working, they're doing, they're doing, but it's actually coming out of them and it's not coming out of their time with Jesus. You can't feel satisfied that way, and that's going on to my next point, but you can't even get any satisfaction in that. Jesus wants to give you true purpose, a real purpose, a real reason to get up, a reason to be able to close your eyes and feel good about your day when you, when you put your head on your pillow. That's a wonderful thing, and success, it's not by man's eyes either. Think about Jeremiah. I mean, that guy, by, by human standpoints, he was a total failure. Every time he gave a message, he got in trouble. You ever felt like that? God, you, you led me to go and say that, to go and talk to that person. Look how it turned out. Clearly, it must have been wrong. Really? Read your Bibles. Lots of people listened to, to Jesus, did it right, and got success in heaven's eyes, and, you know, in the earthly eyes, got, not, got torment is what they got. Okay? So, Romans 8, 28, look at this promise. We know that for those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Wow. Those who are called according to his purpose. You don't claim this promise if you're not walking in his purpose. He's got a plan for you, and things will work out for good. And this is better than the earthly way. Earthly peace has to have circumstances that all work out in your favor. Oh, this is a promise that passes those circumstances. Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall be careful to do all that is commanded, right? You shall meditate on a day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is to do according to what is written in it. Then, look at this, then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will find good success. We have to abide to do that. You know, that's what that is, meditating on the word day and night, being careful to do, it's abiding. It's part of abiding. We'll get on to what abiding is in a bit, but that's part of abiding right there. All right, let's move on to the next one. By the way, Chris, you like that? I have the two columns there and they came in from other sides. Have you ever done that? Oh, you have? Oh, yesterday I was like, I don't think Chris has done that yet. Shoot, shouldn't have asked. I should have just felt good about that. Anyways, <laughs> should have known. I am the pad one. He is the master. <laughs> I have one more surprise coming, though, and you're going to see. Maybe you haven't done this one. Anyways, um, <laughs> as I'm doing my PowerPoints, I'm thinking, what has Chris done? Can I add something in differently than what he would do? Anyways, that's not really how I think. Well, it sort of is, but... <laughs> but whatever, it has nothing to do with the message. So back on track. Um, answered prayers. This is a fruit of abiding in Christ. You know, that this is one of the areas where I literally took out half of my scriptures and I'm still left with six that I'm going to bring you through. And I didn't get an exhaustive list on Jesus' desire to answer prayers in your life. I didn't. I just picked a whole bunch that I'd memorized. Do a Google search and you'll probably get even more. I know you'll get even more because there's way more than 12. I had, to, I had to tone it back. And you know what I did? I picked six that come out of the same real conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples out of John 14, 15, and 16. And this is linked with so many other promises of him wanting to create, prepare a place for us, manifest his presence to us, give us the Holy Spirit, give us strength to endure, give us power from heaven, let us experience his love, give us strength to endure hard circumstances, grow us in character, and lots of other things, because he says whatever you wish. 
But uh, I wonder if he was trying to get a point across here by saying the same thing to the same group of people six times in a row. Can you imagine that? That'd be like me asking you over to my house for dinner today in a conversation. I'd say, hey, you want to come over to my house today? I want to feed you. And then two minutes later, hey, you want to come over to my house today? I want to feed you. And then again, hey, you want to come over to my house? I want to feed you. And you're finally like, hey, seriously, fine. I'll come to your house and feed me. Great. It's a little desperate, right? Jesus is doing this with prayer. Look at this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I love it how he starts there. That's twice he talks about it being about Jesus and about the Father and not just about you. He's trying to twist your arm. Please, would you just ask me for something? Would you get into my presence? Would you listen? And then would you ask? Please, would you ask so I can do something? I want to give you a life of significance and meaning. I want to help you in your marriage. I want to help you with your kids. I want to help you in your character. I want to help you in your business. John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 7, if you abide me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right after this one, he says again, by this my Father is glorified. We already went over that one. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We could stop there and just sit there for an hour. Wow. You did not choose me, I chose you. You think you're here because your own free will? Yes and no. He chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. It's his desire for you. And then he tells you how to do it. He's like, come on, just follow me. Listen, get into my presence. Be there. We go on. In that day, oh, sorry. He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. 1623, this is number five. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. And then we'll go with one more here, just in case we didn't get it. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So first he tells us it's not just about you, it's about the Father receiving glory. And then lastly he says, okay, fine, please. Would you ask me it's so that you will have full joy in your life? He wants to answer prayer. This is a wonderful fruit of abiding. This should motivate us. You know, one thing that I've noticed in our church over the last while, I was talking to a few different people, and uh, we're really good at listening. We are. We're a listening prayer church. And other churches know that about us. We're, we are list- That's part of the heritage that Pastor Ray has given us here. It's a wonderful heritage. And you see it at prayer summits. Everyone is good for the listening prayer components. Everyone is. And then we get to the asking components, and that's where it gets a little more difficult to get people to pray. This is an area we have to grow in, asking and receiving. And I don't know if it's, it's like a false kind of humility, like who am I or whatever it is. Probably, because it's the same thing it sounds like the disciples had. That's why Jesus had to give them so many reasons. It's not just about you. You need to pray and ask so that the Father can receive glory. I'm trying to bear fruit in your life, and part of how I do that, part of how I get the soil ready for bearing fruit, is through you asking me for things. And six times, same conversation. It almost seems desperate. Like we weren't supposed to miss out on this particular promise. But I'll move on for sake of time. Satisfaction and contentment. Something... uh, a couple of years ago? No, it's not even a couple of years ago. It's last summer. Who am I kidding? Oh, have I ever grown in this area of abiding in the last two years? It has been a long and very rewarding journey. A long time of planting seeds and preparing the soil. And only in the last probably this year have I really begun to experience fruit like I've never experienced before. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Satisfaction and contentment. I had a friend, John Lowen, he comes here. J-Lo. If you see him, you can say hi, J-Lo. Anyways, he asked me at the gym, I just finished a transformation. I won't go into details there other than I do these things every year, a bunch of us. It's lots of fun. He, he asks me right after a transformation, man, you must be proud of and, and satisfied with your progress. And I turned to him and I said, 
<laughs> it's kind of funny how I just said it, because usually I wouldn't just be this open and off the cuff, but I, I know him well. And I said, actually, John, I'm never satisfied with where I'm at. And then I paused for a moment. Then I said, truthfully, I'm not satisfied in any area of my life. I never feel satisfaction. Even in, when I eat, I, I used to be known for an insatiable appetite that I can just eat and eat and eat and eat. And eat. I said, even when I eat, there is nothing that truly satisfies. Boy, oh boy, did the Lord bring that up the next morning in my devotion time. He says, do you think I want you to live a life where you have no satisfaction? Pastor Ray had been challenging us from June. This was in August or July. He had been challenging us in June to memorize. Had I started yet? No. Oh, did the Lord convict me on that. In July, the end of July, and I started in August. And this is where he brought me to Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. It was the first, I, the first chapter that I memorized there. I started, this started a, <laughs> a bit of a problem I might have right now. It's, not, it's a good problem to have. Better than a lot of the ones I've had. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And those words pierced my soul. So I said, Lord, I don't even know what to do with this. What do I do? And he says, you're going to start by memorizing, like Pastor Ray said, Pastor Dad. That's where we're going to start. You're going to start eating my word. So I started doing it aggressively, really aggressively. I won't go into details, but very aggressively, and I'm still doing it. And I am finding a satisfaction again from putting in the work of abiding. I am finding a satisfaction in my soul that I've never had before. It's changed so many things in my life, and I'm not going to get onto it now because I want to preach again in fall about memorization, so I'm not going to touch that. But it's changed lots next coming in fall. Anyways, move on. Philippians, look at this. Oops, that's the last part of Isaiah. Well, part of the second verse. Now I'm not speaking of, look, look at this. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You ever thought about how weird of a statement that is? That he is to be content, meaning it's God's will, God's desire for him to actually be, have contentment in his life. He has learned that he is to be content. This is the guy who got stoned, beaten, shipwrecked. Right? We go through that whole list, lashes. <laughs> he had, I, I forget how many times now. I should memorize that. But anyways, this is what he's saying. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me tell you something. You will not experience that by believing in Jesus alone. James says you believe in Jesus. That's great. Even the demons believe. They don't experience this. I'm not saying you're like a demon, okay? But what I am making a point on is belief is not enough. This is coming from abiding in Christ. This is from someone who knows Jesus, who talks with him, who spends time with him regularly. That's the kind of person that can be content even in the worst circumstances. How about the next one here? Peace and hope is the last one I'll give you on this part, and then I'll jump into the how do we abide and what that looks like and bring in a balance. Peace and hope. This is one I'm particularly passionate about. I should have some water. Oh, it's cold. Thank you. Mm. That's another problem I have. I drink a lot of fluid. <clears throat> I have a big jug that everyone bugs me about here. Anyways, peace and hope. Two and a half years ago. This one is two and a half years ago. Um, 
I had a panic attack. So it, those that know me know that I've had chronic anxiety for, for a long time. As long as I can remember, I've had chronic anxiety. And I have all the physiological symptoms of someone who struggles with chronic anxiety, such as digestive problems, neck problems, shoulder problems, slight kyphosis of the back, and so on and so forth. Those are all, if you have check, 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 you may also have chronic anxiety and not know it. Anyways, <laughs> that's a little gift for you this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. So... I've had this for a long time. Very rarely, though, do I have panic, panic attacks, although I have high anxiety lots. But I've had a few panic attacks, and two and a half years ago in, this, in November, I had the worst panic attack I've ever had, but also the best one. You say, tell me how that works. Best and worst at the same time. Well, went to bed at 9 o'clock and began to sit there, and I was mulling over an email. That's all it took, an email. That was a bad email, but it wasn't that bad. It was just a back and a forth. It was a... Ugh. Anyhow, I'm sitting there, and I'm going. My mind starts speeding up. You ever had that? So some of you haven't, some of you haven't. The ones that have, you know what I'm talking about. You're laying there, and it's going faster and faster and faster and faster. And by 10, I actually feel like now I'm engaging into fight and flight. I'm panic. I get out of the bed, walk into the living room, begin pacing back and forth really fast, right? Much faster than I'm doing now. Think October 2011 when I first preached. If any of you were here for that, think that. That speed, it was... Pacing back and forth, it's being driven by anxiety. That probably was too. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of healing since then. But anyways, um, here I have the worst panic attack ever. And the question is, now don't answer this because you might get it wrong. Like I, I was a pastor two and a half years ago. I've been a pastor for nine years. So what did I do with a panic attack? Well, I mean, I am the guy that brought in a lot of the quieting exercises and the idea of quieting and rest into our church. So I mean, I must have been, been you know, championing the cause, right, with my exercises that I've learned. Nope, didn't do it. Not that anybody wanted to do that. Okay, well, being a pastor, you must have prayed. No. No, you might say, you didn't talk to God at all? Yeah, I'll get to that in just a moment. I did, but not the kind of prayer where you think, like, you must have been praying and seeking the Lord and going into tongues or something. Oh, we don't talk about that here yet. It's not the empower. But uh, <laughs> I'm just bugging you all. Anyways, you all know about it. Anyways, but that's the thing, right? I mean, what did I do? Did I get into the Word? Did I sit down and do a gratitude exercise, do star? I'm, hey, I wrote that star tool. Maybe I, maybe I sat down and did the star tool, right? Quieting, you know, stop, quiet, and, and use appreciation to connect your heart to Jesus and then start responding. No. I put on an action show on the TV. Something with lots of explosions and something that was very fast-paced because I tried slower shows first and they couldn't engage my brain because it was moving too fast. So I put on something really fast-paced and then as it would start to engage my brain, I'd be able to disengage from those thoughts. And you might say, that's what you did? Yeah, and it lasted from 9 till 5.30 in the morning. Chest tight, hard to breathe, beating. That's 9 till 5.30 in the morning. Horrible. But you know what? It was great. Because something changed. This was the first time I experienced this. I had this acute sense. It was just Jesus beside me the entire time. He never left my side, and I knew he was there. Up until that moment, many times when I had been in those kind of spots, my question was, Lord, where are you? Where are you? This time I never asked. He was just there. And because he was there, we didn't talk really, but I just knew everything was going to be okay. It was going to be okay. I had hope. You know, it took me three months until the Lord brought me into Philippians, and I realized that I had experienced the peace that passes understanding for the very first time. I was in my storm. I had no idea how it was going to get out. I had no idea when it was going to end. I had no strength in me to do all the right things. 
to make it stop. I just was with him, and I made it through, and I had hope. That's why I said it was the worst one and yet the best. Do you know that that's a promise that comes from abiding in Christ? Do you know that I didn't just get there because I believed? I had started a year and a half earlier. How many of you have done a practicing his presence exercise? I know we do it in lots of places in the church. Okay, so there's a good chunk of you that have. Well, that tool, actually, like I wrote that based on three questions that I had begun to ask a year prior to this panic attack. Do you know that the Lord told me, I want you to practice this and get an active awareness of where I was. So I started asking him, where are you? How do you see me? What do you want me to know? I started doing that regularly in all sorts of different circumstances. What is that? That's preparing the soil of my heart. I was abiding in him. I was spending time with him. And then when I needed him the most, I had peace that passed understanding. Now I could give you many examples of me experiencing that peace in the last two and a half years. Many. Now I know it quite well. I know very much what it is. And I love it. And I can't actually, I keep asking the question, how do people do this without Jesus? I actually don't understand. It doesn't make sense. They don't. I agree. They don't. Absolutely amen to that. All right. Yep. Moving forward now. I'm jumping forward. How many of you need hope in your marriage, singleness, with kids, in your business, in your ministry? You feel exhausted, tired. You want hope? You want peace that passes understanding? One way, abiding in Christ. So what does it mean to abide? It means to accept in accordance, act in accordance with, comply with, obey, observe, follow, keep to, hold to, conform, adhere to, stick to, stand by, act in accordance. I'm going through a bunch of synonyms here. And the list could go on. I actually have a whole bunch more here. It's more than believing is what I'm getting at. So you can see it has this connotation of obedience and relationship and believing. It's what is this exactly? John 15, 10 here says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So we see this abiding in him. It's love. It's obedience, it's together. First John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I won't go into that. Pastor Chris did a great job of explaining that. I think last week, maybe it was the week before, on the difference between our laws and God's laws and how his laws are life-giving. It's life-giving work. It's not burdensome. So what does abiding in Christ mean? It means this. All of our doing comes out of our being with Jesus. That's why you can do things. That's why apart from abiding, you can do nothing. Nothing that counts for eternity. Nothing that will bear spiritual fruit here on this earth. Means all of your doing, which is good. We need to do the doing, but it's supposed to come out of our being with Jesus. This is how we bear much fruit. Jesus said the son can only do what he sees the father doing. He modeled this. He did all of his doing out of his being. And now he invites us to enjoy. He says, so that your jo- my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And he invites us into that. It's not burdensome. It's actually good for us. Many Christians, sadly, avoid the work necessary to cultivate a healthy relationship that creates ground that will actually bear this kind of fruit. We get so busy in the doing, and we say things like, well, I don't have time to spend an hour with Jesus in the morning. My life is too busy then you need to subtract something else from your life. Because he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Then what exactly are you spending your time on if it's not coming out of your being with Jesus? I'm not saying that we stop doing everything. The doing is important. To love me means you obey my commandments. He's very clear on that. The doing is important, but he says, you have to come to me first. We've got to do it his way. 
I want to, I want to use an example of gardening because gardening works. How many gardeners in here? And farmers. Raise your hand too. Farmers? Oh, a few farmers. Yeah. God bless you all. So I've been gardening now for nine years. And I, I've been learning. I love growing things in the garden. I actually love it. We took last year off and it was hideous because I love gardening. We only get two months for it, basically. Well, we get more than that. But, I mean, that's just me being cynical and critical about winter that lasts forever. <laughs> oh, there it goes again. <laughs> but anyways, we have this moment to garden. You know what I've learned about gardening? You don't bear much fruit without much work. Now, you could say, well, yeah, but things do grow on their own. Yeah, they do. Weeds grow faster, though. Isn't it true? Weeds grow faster. But yeah, things will grow. You take a handful of seed, you chuck it on the ground, chances are some of it will grow into something. But you show me someone, a, a plant that is bearing much fruit, much fruit, and I'll show you a plant that's being taken care of with much work. That's how it works. You know, when I grow a garden, you have, to be, you have to think about a lot of things. You have to be very intentional with the kind of work, too. I have to, first off, get the soil ready. So you've got to get the soil ready. It's got to be nice and black and rich. Oh, it's fun. Till the soil. I love tilling the soil. I can't wait to do it this year again. So you till the soil, you get it ready, but now you have to be aware of things before you just start going and planting. You have to be aware of things like, where does the sun rise and where does it set? You say, why do you have to be aware of that? Well, because some plants require full sun, some require partial sun. Then you have to be aware of how tall your plants are going to grow so that you don't put the tall plants where they're going to shadow the small plants that require more sun. But then you also have to be aware that you don't keep planting the same plants in the same spot year after year after year, leaching the soil of the nutrients that are specific to that plant. Then you also have to be aware of plants that bear much fruit require certain amounts of space because if there's too many plants in one spot, they're, they're, they're trying to share the same amount of nutrients. So you have to have them the right distance apart. But they also need food. They need water. They need sun. And you know what else? There's a hideous thing, the one part I do hate. Weeds. And you don't have to grow those. They grow on their own. Are you seeing a lot of analogies here between us and our spiritual life? Absolutely. The weeds grow on their own. They will not take any work. Bearing much fruit will take much work. This is how it works. But I'll tell you something else about the gardening. You know that it's not work to me? It's delight. Because I love gardening. That's why it's not work for me to spend time with Jesus. It's delight. Because I love Jesus. I love hearing his words. That's why I was so pumped to preach and write that journal. I just, I mean, I said to someone yesterday, I just hope people experience what I've experienced this year. That's what I want. I already went through it. I went through the longer version before you guys got that one. And I experienced lots of fruit. It was unexpected fruit, but I experienced lots of it. I'm like, man. If half our people could experience what I experienced in the last three months, oh, God's going to do something in our midst. All right. You know what? Now, here's the thing. I, I talk about all the work that's required, and some of you might say, okay, that's a lot of work. How much money did you spend on those plants? How much money did you spend on fertilizer? Time is money. Have you ever added that up? Like, is gardening? I mean, I understand if you're a farmer, but for a gardener, for a home garden, is it really worth it? Like, are you really getting enough fruit to justify the time spent and cost? I'll tell you something. No. You aren't. You go to the store, and you will spend way less to get way more. It's true. Now, you can't get all the hot peppers that I like. That, that you can't get. But 
you get the idea here. The idea is you can go to the supermarket and buy fruit. So many of us say, well, then why would I grow my own fruit? Why grow my own if I can just go and buy it for cheaper and still get to eat it? You're right. The problem is we take this thinking into our relationship with Jesus too. That's where we really fall short. Guess what? There is no spiritual supermarket. It doesn't exist. He never made that. He didn't make it so that one farmer farms acres and acres and acres and then trucks it in and you just go to the market and you pick up some spiritual fruit. Yes, you can taste a little bit of what others have. You can come here and taste a little bit from the front, but it will never be enough to give you what I'm talking about here, ever. For that, it's just a taste, so he says, taste and see. Now he invites you into the garden of your heart, and he said, now let's work together to bear this fruit in your life. But all of our doing has to come out of our being with him. This is exactly what we do in church rule mentoring, and now in adult cell mentoring, yeah, we have that started, and some, a whole bunch of you are in it. That's great. I love it. Very excited. You know what we're doing for the first year-ish in there? You know what we do? We do it with pastors too. We focus entirely on this, abiding in Christ. Entirely on this. Now, the cell leaders, we just started. So we're only five weeks in. So we're just starting to get going and starting to go, and it's, I'm loving it. We're right at that spot where we're starting to share, and everyone's doing homework because there's work involved in cultivating a garden that bears much fruit. So they're doing the work. It's coming out, and it's going good. With church renewal mentoring, I get this every time, right around the halfway point. <laughs> this happens to every group, that someone will say in some way, shape, or form, I, you know, when I, got, when I got into your group, I'll just be honest, I was just waiting to get past the young guy so I could get to the old guy and get into the meat and potatoes. That's what they tell me. I'm not offended because I totally get it. I'm mentored by him. I'd rather have him as a mentor than me too. And I am young and he's got all the experience. He developed all the tools. I'm totally with them on that. But then they say something and say, but I realized something. I needed this. I have learned and changed and grown so much. You see, you know what they do? They come to church renewal the same way that we go into our own personal lives. They come here, they taste and see the fruit that we have here. And they say, well, I want that. So can I buy the set free? Can I buy the hearing God? See what they're doing? We go to the, super, the spiritual supermarket. We try to buy the fruit. Then they come into mentoring just so they can get it. We say, well, you can have it for free if you go into mentoring. So they come into mentoring saying, okay, let's, let's get going on this. I want to change my church. And the first year, they get nothing for the church. And they get everything for themselves. And more and more, they're starting to accept that process because now they're seeing fruit. Now, remember, a garden takes a while to produce fruit. I work it all summer before I enjoy the fruits in fall. Hard work. But then I enjoy the fruits. But then the more you do that, the more fruits you experience, the more you begin to enjoy the work because you know what's coming. Some of you, it's so hard and it's burdensome because you've never even experienced your first year of crops yet. Put in the hard work. It's not burdensome. It's life-giving. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Look at this. I love this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is a yoke? It's a piece of wood. Pastor Chris shared this a long time ago. Oh, maybe a few months ago. I don't know what it was. But I'm going to hit it again because it's important for this. A yoke is a piece of wood that links two oxen together in front of a cart. See, the cart is a load, right? So that load with one oxen is heavy. 
So you yoke it together with a second oxen, and the same load becomes light. See how that works? Many of us, the Lord, <laughs> me included, okay, I'll be honest. What are we kidding here? Two Januaries ago, not this January, the one before, the Lord brings me here and he says, you don't believe that. I say, yes, I do. He says, no, you don't. I say, yes, I do. He says, no, you don't. And immediately I could see it in my heart. You ever have him do that and he exposes you and you feel a little bit naked? You're like, ooh. And then you say, well, now I'm actually overwhelmed, immediately overwhelmed. And then I said, well, actually, yeah, I feel like you keep adding, 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 and you never take anything away. And I feel exhausted and anxious, and I do feel like it's heavy. And then I started getting more and more worked up in my devotional time. Then I'm like, and I feel like you're a harsh taskmaster. And then I said, I am so sorry for saying that. <laughs> then you sit there and you're like, oh boy, this is why I bottled it up inside in the first place, and I wasn't going to talk about it. <laughs> He's like, I see your heart. Oh, man. I have, if you would read my journals, that's why I'd never let anyone touch my journal. You'd be like, whew, this guy is... Anyways, so... We go into this process, he confronts me specifically on this verse, and he says, you know your problem is? You're not yoked to me. The problem isn't your burden. In fact, he has told me specifically a number of times, I've built you to carry heavy loads. But even if I'm built to carry heavy loads, I was never built to carry them alone. I was supposed to yoke myself to him. Our problem is, go back to that gardening picture. We got this nice garden. Jesus standing in the garden. He's wearing, I don't know, what's he wearing? Rubber boots. It's kind of a funny picture. Anyways, he's got like, it's way harder, by the way, to plant things by seed than it is to, you know, plant little plants. So he's already done the germinating for you. He's like, I'll even make it easy for you. I've germinated them. I've made sure they've sprouted. They're already ready to transplant. He just, like, here, I've even dug the hole. Here, your part you pick it up out of my hand, put it in the hole, and then we go, good job, you did it. <laughs> you did it. Anyways, so Jesus is desiring this. He's got the tools, he's got the plants, he's got the dirt, he's, he's there, right? He's there. The problem is, you have your load behind you, and this plow, but you're in the bush, off the field, in the bush, in the rocks, in the trees, in the bush, where it's impossible to pull a load. And you're saying, Lord, it's too heavy, it's too much. And he's saying, what are you doing out there? I'm right here. That's what it is when we do without being. We pull a heavy load in places that are impossible to pull with a load that's impossible to pull on our own and in a place we can't pull it. Too many people do that. Why would we do that? Pride? Ignorance? I don't know. Maybe we're a little naive. Eh, we're sinful. We're broken. Sometimes we just don't know any better. That's why we have a church where we can learn these things together and we can say, Lord, I'm not doing it that way anymore. I want to do it this way. We're doing the Abide Journal. I'm excited about that. We're going to be doing all of the things, you know, all those elements I talked about that you have to know for having a healthy garden that bears much fruit? Well, that's what I've done in the Abide Journal. Taking a lot of the things out of, most of it comes right out of level one mentoring. Some of it is additional stuff in there that's not level of mentoring, but I've taken many of the things that are basic at the basic foundation of a healthy walk of abiding with Christ, and I've included them in there. So you'll do all sorts of things, obedience steps and surrender and listening prayer and conversations with Jesus and bringing your overwhelm to him and learning how to meditate and chew on the word, and you'll memorize, and you'll learn to pray, and you'll also learn to take care of yourself, self-care, which is rest and Sabbath. You'll learn to incorporate that into your week once a week. These are all of the things that someone who abides in Christ already does. 
But here's an important thing to understand, and this is the last point I'll have on the message. So I know some of us here are perfectionists, and I'm like that, and it causes me a great deal of anxiety. I think anxiety and perfectionism certainly go hand in hand. Because no one can be perfect. If you're here and you're trying to be perfect in any area of your life, parenting, marriage, Christianity, just stop it already. That is a... No, I can't say stupid. That is a dumb. Is that better, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. That's a dumb goal. It's unrealistic. You know on the faster scale, some of you have done the faster scale, some of you have not. It's in the journal. On the faster scale, making unrealistic goals and expectations for yourself is a sign of overwhelm. It's not a sign of staying in restoration and abiding in Christ. Don't be perfect. You know what you're called to do? Bear the fruit of repentance. Meaning you're supposed to commit that, you know what, I'm going to do my very best to give God my every effort, and when I fall down, I'm going to see, like, how I want to see growth is I want to fall down less, but when I fall down, I want to be the fastest at getting back up and turning back towards Jesus. The very fastest at that. That's a great goal. For parenting, for sin, whatever it is, you fit it in there, that's a way better goal than perfection. Tell you what Jesus cares about, direction. He cares about that far more than perfection. He knows you're not perfect. He already knows that. I'm glad he doesn't look for perfect. I wouldn't be up here. Not a chance. He wouldn't use any of us. Direction's way more important than perfection. But you know what our problem is? And, and I mean, there's a number of things in there. But we live in a culture that really prides ourselves in achievement and success. But let's look at a, a couple of stories in Scripture because I really want you to get that direction is more important than perfection. The first one we're going to look at here is Abraham. Abraham had a faith test. James talks about it in James chapter 2. Abraham had a faith test. The Lord, you know, gives him a son, Isaac, and he knew that through Isaac he was going to be blessed. So he knew that. Then the Lord goes, on the other hand now, and tells him to go and sacrifice Isaac. Well, these things seem to be contradicting each other, don't they? Right? And the Lord does this a lot. That's why it's a test. That's why it's called a test. (laughs) Because he's, you know, you're not totally sure what the answer is. So, what are you going to do? Are you going to believe God in both circumstances? In that case, then you're going to say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. Are you going to raise him from the dead? Are you going to stop me? Who knows what's going to happen? But I'm just going to follow you because that's my job. Abraham does that. James goes on a big rant and uses Abraham and also Rahab uh, to talk about how faith without works is dead. As the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And he makes a huge point on that, that our works are super important, that we're not just justified by faith, but we're justified by faith and works. It's both. So we look at this, Abraham. Abraham passes the test flying colors. I mean, I don't know how good he did. I wasn't there. I just, sometimes I like to empathize with these stories when I get into them. I've done that for years uh, because I find it makes them come alive. Try to imagine being in that spot. I've told the Lord many times, please don't give me that test. Ever thought about how hard that must have been for him? You're holding on to a word? I mean, it's a word. Yeah, I know. We read it as scripture, but he was getting it like we hear words. That must have been extremely hard to bring Isaac on this journey where you might sacrifice him. You're not totally sure. Dad, what are we going to do? What are we doing? Where's the lamb? You're like, the Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to provide. But you have no idea. It would have been impossible. Abraham passed. And what was, what was said about him? He was called a friend of God because he passed that test. Now we can look at that and say, just like me, and say, I hope I never get a test like that because I think I would fail. 
right? And we think if I failed, had Abraham failed, then God couldn't have used him for what he did, because obviously it's about his, like how he worked it out, right? That's the biggest thing. And that is important. If God's going to use you for big things, he'll give you tests like this, and if you fail them, you, he may not use you for what he, do, he wants to use you for. Absolutely. But we think all of God's promises and his answers to prayer and all the promises of this fruit in Scripture rely on us passing every test as well as Abraham. But let me show you another faith test. Mary and Martha, they also had a faith test. John 11. John 11, right at the end, we get the famous story, Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead. But the story begins in the beginning of John 11 in verse 1. Verse 1, we have the disciples, Jesus, that are together, Mary and Martha, coming to him, and they're asking him, they're saying, Lord, my brother is sick, will you come and heal him? So they're bringing their request to Jesus. That's good so far. Verse 4, Jesus says, eh, don't worry. This sickness does not lead to death. It is so that the Father may be glorified through the Son. They feel good about that. I imagine they felt good about it. They'd seen him heal a bunch of other people. So they feel good about it, and they go on their way, and Jesus just followed them right alongside, right? No, he didn't follow. In fact, he delays intentionally two days. He delays so long, in fact, that the disciples are finally urging him, saying, shouldn't we be moving on to Judea, Jesus? Guy, like, are we? Then Jesus has this conversation with them about how, you know, Lazarus, though he dies, he's not going to truly die, and the disciples are confused, like many other times before. And finally, Jesus shows up. He comes on the scene, and uh, he comes on the scene four days after Lazarus has now passed away. Now, have you ever thought about how Mary and Martha must have felt in that story? You receive a word from the Lord, you receive it with joy. Wonderful. He's about to do something big. And now the Lord delays. And he delays, and he delays, and he delays. And not only does your situation not get better, it actually continues to get worse. So when Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus dies, Martha comes first, then Mary, and basically, Martha's a little meaner about it, Mary's a little nicer, but basically they say, Lord, had you been here, my brother would still be alive. But you didn't come through with what you said. You didn't do what you said. And they weep, and we get the second shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He weeps with his friends. You notice how he doesn't rebuke them? Think about this. He knows he's about to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. He also knows he told them exactly what he was going to do four days earlier. He gave them a word that they were to hold on to. They failed that faith test. Ever thought about that? They didn't hold on to it. He said, this does not lead to death, just like he said to Isaac. I'm going to bless you through him. Don't worry about it. He said the same thing to them. This does not lead to death. It is so that the Father will receive glory through the Son. They lost strength. Have you ever lost strength? We think it all depends on you? Didn't in this story. Look what Jesus did. He goes to the tomb, and he says, so that the Father may be glorified through the Son. He prays to the Father, and he raises Lazarus from the dead anyways. And this is where you get the neat little, look at that, Chris. Huh? See that? Jesus still answered their request. <laughs> he hasn't done that. I feel good about myself. <laughs> Sorry. 
right? Simple things for a simple mind. Anyways, I was very excited about that. He still answered the request. Now you might say, okay, wait, wait, wait. So you said faith without works is dead. Uh, abiding means all of our doing comes out of our being. So obedience is important if we're abiding in Christ. Abraham, it was, he was called a friend of God. It was counted to him as righteousness because his faith was worked out in his works. He got it right. But now you're saying Jesus will still answer requests even if we don't do anything. No, I'm not saying that. They did something. Mary and Martha made the travel to go see Jesus to ask for help in the first place. Then when Jesus shows up late, they went to him again. They were disappointed. They got it wrong. But they still went to him. They still loved him. That's what abiding looks like. Direction is more important than perfection. And certainly we don't want to get all of our tests wrong. But there's grace for when you make a mistake. He'll help you get back up. And then we'll try it again. Until we get it right. And that is God's heart for us. I had another chunk here, but I cut out. I had to shorten my message because yesterday I went way too... I did not go very long. You should watch what I say when my boss is here. So I'll cut out a chunk here, but I'm going to skip to the, uh, the last part here. You know at South End we do a lot of things. You know that? We do a lot here at South End. We do. And one of the things we've been learning, Pastor Chris talked about it just the other week, and, we'll, and it'll be, you'll hear more about it, trust me, is the idea of rest and Sabbath. We haven't learned to rest very well, and that is a piece of abiding in Christ that we're actually going to learn. Mary learned that over Martha, remember, in Luke? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary, Martha was busying herself. Mary got that piece. We need to learn that here. But I'll tell you something. Jesus is asking us to do more, not less. We haven't arrived. Do you know that things are getting darker around us and the day is drawing near when he is going to return? He needs people and a church that's going to bear much fruit. And we bear a lot of fruit. But he desires for us to bear more fruit. And that's why, you know, you're, you're building a house, you're doing renovations, you want to make it nicer and better, but you want to make sure your foundation is sure before you spend a bunch of money to make it better on the outside. So let's take a journey with him this next month as we go through this journal together to seek his face, to address the foundation, the cracks in our own lives, to know him more so that he can bear much fruit in our lives. I just want to close with these, a couple of verses, and I've already said these ones, but I'm going to do them again because they're great. Because we have to remember what this is all about. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It is not about you. It's about him. But he loves you. You go in chapter 14, he talks about whoever obeys his commandments, loves him, and the Father loves him in return, and then him and Jesus are going to come and live with him. No, oh, that's his desire. It says, Jesus will manifest his presence to those who follow him like this. So there's lots of personal benefit too, but it's so the Father can receive glory. And 15, 16, this is where I want to end. You did not choose me, I chose you. You are here because the Lord chose you because he loves you. So I want to pray for you guys. Let's open our hands together. If you're comfortable doing that, if not, don't worry about it. I'm not going to be watching because I'll close my eyes.
Lord, right now as we come to you, we are we are honored that you would invite us into a relationship like this. That you actually desire to live with us, to manifest yourself to us. Your desire is that we bear much fruit. You desire us to experience your love and a peace that passes understanding. But Lord, we recognize that many things in our lives we have done on our own strength. We have not done it from based on what you have told us or what you have commanded. We've done it out of our own strength. We've yoked ourselves to the world. We have yoked ourselves to us. So today, Lord, we just confess any of the doing that's come out of us. And we turn to you, Lord, and we say, we are asking that you would yoke yourself to us, that we could yoke ourselves to you, that we could experience your easy yoke and your light burden. I ask, Lord, that you would fill each person here with your Holy Spirit. I ask as we begin to seek you through the journal, those that aren't doing the journal through the regular devotional times, I ask that we would be able to experience your manifest presence, that you would change us from the inside out, and that you would continue using Southland to bear much fruit that will impact our country and beyond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.